a Highline podcast. No normal people. my friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning. And I'm also that. I'm a Henning, and I'm your host. But my name is Dixie Lee. Yes, and this is a podcast where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. Mm. Let's talk about sex, baby. Just jump straight into it. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, why not? It's kind of how it felt with Danielle, wasn't it? Man. We're going to talk about the segs. Dixie, I had so much fun talking to Danielle. This is I was really nervous. It's an episode where we kind of branch out of uh I don't know if you can say that we really have a normal, you know. There I guess norms are established mm-hmm. for any podcast. And uh Danielle just kind of shatters all of those and I loved it. I think we were due for a little shake 'em up. Mm. Shake it up. Shake it up. Absolutely. Yes, we do talk about sex with our friend Danielle, who uh, does work online as an erotic embodiment advisor. Yep. Uh, very fun conversation. True story. Uh, we do get into some details. Yes. So This is a no kids allowed. It's, it's no this normal. is a no normal kids. It's no normal people after dark. Yeah. XXX. <laughs> this is our... Fifty Shades of Normal. No, it's not even. It's not even that bad. It, but no, I know. There, but like, there is some sensitive material that if yeah. you don't want your kiddos hearing. Also, kind of, like if you're my in-laws or my mom, don't listen to this because I just can't. I can't. Mm. I can't right now. Is that how you feel? Is that how you feel about it? I don't even remember what we talked about completely because we recorded this so long ago. Yeah, we did this interview a while ago, but uh, oh my gosh, it was so good. Dixie now would definitely be embarrassed by some things that I probably said. No, you'll be proud of yourself. Okay, I don't know. I edited it. I edited it. Edited it. Man, that is so hard to say. No, it was it was a delight. I also don't want to make it sound like Danielle, like that's all we talk it, Okay, about. so like going into this interview, she was definitely one of the people that signed up to be interviewed. Yeah. Um, she's one of the people that we didn't know mm-hmm. when she signed up. So when we read her email and she was saying how she was an erotic embodiment, embodiment advisor, advisor yeah. I was like, uh, that's what? New. That's I, new. I was like, I, I don't know how i'm going to be able to talk to somebody that like does this kind of stuff for a living and then i listened to her podcast five minutes of her podcast and i was like this is totally not at all what i was anticipating any conversation around this area would be like it was so much better than i thought it was going to be i was honestly very surprised i was very nervous because I mean, Stephen, you came to me and you were like, hey, let's let's do this. And I was like, we're going to we're going to talk about the segs on our podcast. 
it's it's good though. I, I feel nervous, like I feel like the but it was way, so good. I feel like what you were nervous of was it just being like a bunch of like like Cosmo yeah uh, listicles about how to like make your man yeah. wild in bed or whatever. Yeah. Which is like it's your, definitely not that. Oh my gosh, sexy zodiac. Even just, <laughs> <laughs> even just breaking down with Danielle what she means by erotic mm-hmm. and embodiment. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like I learned so much about sexuality and eroticism. Yep. From our friend Danielle, I appreciated it. But what we also talk about internet pornography. Yep. And I feel like what you were afraid of it being was like the bad side audio. Of that. Like audio, audio porn. Yeah, there you go. Um, I didn't want and this to it was be such the a porn wonderfully, podcast, right? It, it, <laughs> and instead, it turned into this wonderful conversation about like the marriage of body and spirit. Yeah, and we talk about Bridgerton. Yes, we do, and I freaking love it. <laughs> in in the interview, I have not seen the show. This Stephen, this this one recording the intro has seen. It. I have seen Bridgerton, and he knows. And I can confirm. So good. Wow. So sexy. Wow. If it was an instrument, it would be a saxophone. Hmm. See what see what I did there? Okay. Anything else French, going on? A French horny. <laughs> also good. <laughs> also very solid. Very Again, good. don't let your kids listen to this. I don't want them to listen to it and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Dixie said that. Not that like I know your kids, but at the same time. Again, I will stress that a lot of the like specifics we talk about, like it's in what later, we talk about, yeah. like what session one might be like if uh, she's advising a, a single person or a couple. Yeah. That's and we do more get into some break. specifics. It's after the mid roll. I yeah. edited the show in such a way that <laughs> you those, edited it. <laughs> yeah, right. The stuff after the mid roll is uh, discretion advised it's when like, parents are listening in the same like, room with their kids. M- maybe yeah, like rated R, like how how a brave heart is rated r you know no i don't know <laughs> like it's not it's I haven't not seen like you're just babe. going to what yeah okay well, we're done at we're done recording I this know, intro i know mel, this is danielle i know we're gonna go watch brave i know heart. mel gibson screams freedom oh my you've never seen Braveheart? william wallace is that his name <sighs> Don't look at me like that. I okay. I know that we go through this a lot. Like I say a a thing from a movie, like Five Mousekowitz, and and you're like, "What is that? The little Jew mouse?" And I'm like, "I can't believe we get along." But like, Braveheart. Sorry, babe. Babe. Sorry. It's Braveheart. I know the premise. I know what's happening. How have you seen Dragonheart, but you've never seen Braveheart? I would have never seen Dragonheart if I wasn't married to you. That's fair. So let's start there. Yeah. Not a movie I'd be interested in. Braveheart's What are we even so talking good. about? Okay. Sex. We're getting into... <laughs> okay. Again, Danielle, that's not all her life is <laughs> I know, about. I'm just saying. We're talking <laughs> about sexy time. Absolutely. Quick updates for us. We're recording in the new house. New Yay! house. Who dis? New studio. New, new room. Who dis? Who dis? It smells like cigarette smoke in here sometimes. So well, it used to be a rental that. townhouse. So we are working on it. Yep. They used to rent the space out to cigarette smoke. Wow, <laughs> that much? You think that much? No. I mean, I can still smell it. Yeah, and I a just little don't want to smell it. Carpets you know? and stuff, though. Freaking anyway, carpet. Uh, let's see. The Highline Network is flying Highline. high. We are proudly. 
founders of the Highline Network. Yep. The Highline website is where you can go buy our delicious Cafefe. No Normal People Coffee Blend. <laughs> Head over there. It's highline.network slash shop to go find that stuff. But I think without further ado, we should talk about sex, baby. With our friend Danielle. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. We're going to get started with rapid fire questions. Danielle, are you ready? I am ready. Phone calls or texts? Phone calls. Handshakes or hugs? Hugs. Passenger or driver? Passenger. Laundry or dishes? Laundry. East coast or west coast? I've never been to either, so I don't know. (laughs) Mid coast. Right there in the middle. (laughs) I love it. Sunrise or sunset? Oh, sunset. Cats or dogs? Cats. Beaches or mountains? Beaches because I like water. Rain or sun? Rain. Instagram or Twitter? Twitter. Are you task-oriented or people-oriented? Uh, people. Video games or board games? Board games. Change or consistency? Change. Do you feel like a homebody or free spirit? Both. Mostly homebody. Spender or saver? Spender. Do you call it soda or pop? Soda. Books or movies? Books. And finally, introvert or extrovert? Introvert with extrovert tendencies when the weather allows. (laughs) When the weather opens you up. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> all right well you did it that was the rapid fire questions we're done now okay. all now that work for just that i know right the stressful part is over now <laughs> it we're was gonna worth it. totally worth it <laughs> now we're gonna do some more open-ended icebreakers these ones we can chat a little bit more about the answer it's less from the gut and we can just have some fun with them so. unless you want to do it from the gut no that's, pressure. that's okay. true we could totally do that oh all right. right do you have a collection of something books Yes, same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're yeah. with you there. What's a smell that takes you back to a good memory in your childhood? Mm. Uh, funnel cakes. Yeah, that's a good one. I worked at I worked at a drive-in movie theater, and like I always offered to make the funnel cakes because they smell yeah. so good. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the funnel cakes remind me of the state fair here in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and we used to go all the time when I was younger, and that was the highlight, was getting the hot funnel cake. Oh, yeah. They're so yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. What is your favorite sport or physical activity? Uh, sex and then yoga. Nice. <laughs> Both great answers. What is your favorite dine-in restaurant? Um, the Macaroni Grill, because I love pasta. Is- and they have the most exquisite seasonal lobster oh. stuffed ravioli with this incredible sun-dried tomato sauce. I'm and- sorry, is this is this a restaurant that just serves macaroni? <laughs> um, just pasta. Just lots of pasta. And their macaroni is to die for. Okay, I'm going to need you to send the yeah. address because I'm coming. <laughs> to there yeah <laughs> i yeah. love macaroni yeah you, you had her at lobster and i make pasta. the best macaroni and have you had macaroni and cheese with lobster yes there's a yeah. place here in in billings well it's not very good lobster but um they do a bunch of different macaroni type things mm. and there's one with lobster and it's delicious mm-hmm. freaking love mac and cheese anyway yeah. okay what is your favorite fast food 
Mm, McDonald's. I love their nuggets. Yeah. I know they're not even fully pure chicken, but I don't care. <laughs> they just they have the most perfect crisp and ninety two. Yeah. And I worked chicken. at McDonald's too. So I mean oh, it's yeah. like yeah. <laughs> I worked at McDonald's for three months and it was the worst three months of my life. <laughs> I ate a lot of double quarter pounders with cheese and nuggets. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, I'm so hungry. Anyway, nice. okay. What is your favorite candy? Toblerone. Ooh, good They're one. triangle chocolate. Yeah, yes, that's, those ones are very good. Uh, what is your favorite snack? Garlic stuffed green olives and marinated peppers. That's a great snack. I'm very into yeah. this. You lost me at yeah. the... The... You don't like green olives. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Oh, it's yeah. fine. I like black olives too. I love those on my I salad or just olives. plain. Mm-hmm. I'm, I I love olives. And then my daughter named my grandson Oliver. So I thought it was Aww, perfect. That is perfect. So I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. okay. What is your favorite morning drink? Coffee. Yep. But first, I always drink water, actually. I, I love water. I'm a water freak. So my uh, the first thing I drink in the morning is water. But then I will have a pot of coffee. What is your favorite TV show? Oh, that's hard. Oh, I think my one of my favorite of all time is Friends. I can watch that at any yes. given moment. I finished that again. Of course. Like, yeah, yes. Two weeks and ago. I, <laughs> and I just started rewatching Being Mary Jane Ooh, with okay. Gabrielle Union. Um, but I am dying to see the next season of Bridgerton because I consumed <laughs> oh, that in a weekend and it was God. the hottest show. I oh my God. watched it in a day. I was sick and I started watching it and finished it in the <laughs> same day. Yeah, it, it was, was so hard to stop. Good. Yeah, I had to take a break. I was like, okay, I, I we have five <laughs> hours of sleep and then come back to it and finish. Yes. And then... Now I'm just, I'm hungering for it. No, that man. Oh my God. And those sex scenes. Oh my God. They were just, I was like, finally, they show seduction in this art form and this <laughs> breathing. And I was like, it, yeah, it was it so is, much for me. It's so. very good. It's a very yeah. good show. Yeah. I've been trying but to get Steven one, to watch it. Oh yeah. Corey watched it with me, my husband. And yeah, I took him to bed after that. I mean, <laughs> Makes sense, Ooh. obviously. Yeah, but then another good show, and it's one of my secret addictions. Is have you seen Bling Empire? Mm-mm. Mm. So it's about a bunch of rich, spoiled Asian kids in California. Oh, cool! Oh my god! <laughs> so I could see myself getting into that. Yeah, I just started watching that, and I'm strangely addicted, even though it's so disgustingly superficial. <laughs> that's but excellent. Whatever. <laughs> that's how I feel about Shit's Creek, which I'm watching right now. Mm. I've heard that's really good. It's, I, I've heard that's man, really good. It's just like so material, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to questions. What is a secret talent that you have? I am, well, I don't know if it's, well, most people don't know this. I am, I am like Martha Stewart at home when I have company. I used to go over the top and I'm, I just, since I was a teenager, I've been obsessed with hosting and preparing and staging. I think I get it from my realtor aunt and, but Mm, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm like Martha Stewart when you come over to my house and I treat you like your royalty. What is your favorite failure? Um... Birth control. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, please. My first, yeah, <laughs> high school, 18. Yeah, she is my favorite. But she's not really a failure. She is, 
my birth control failed. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah, funny. <laughs> not not as effective as you would think that those pills are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The pills for me were like, well, I didn't have the pills. I had an implant, but it was like. Mm-hmm. You like hormones? Here, have yeah. a ton of them. That, and that they really screwed you up for years. Yeah. No good. Times. I've heard that, yeah. Good times. Mm-hmm. What is a food that you will never eat? I will try anything once, but mm-hmm. probably blowfish because that can be deadly. <laughs> yeah. It's not served properly, but I will try anything. That's one of those That's ones where you live on eat the it. edge ones. Yeah, it's like skydiving <laughs> yeah. with eating. You, yeah. No, yeah. You, you eat and it you for won't the catch thrill. me skydiving or bungee jumping or anything. I don't like think that. I'd eat blowfish alive or dead because, you yeah, know, I mean, it's dangerous both ways. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> what is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? I don't think I have, man. I like, I don't know, fashion I'm is so, so subjective. Hip. <laughs> I, really, though, I just kind of have always worn whatever the heck I've wanted to. And yeah. I change my mind so often that I can't even say I stick to a trend unless, well, I guess I do yoga and tank tops. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. just hello. Why not? <laughs> but yeah, I just uh, I love trying different things. And so I'll try anything and then go to something else. Mm, and mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's like art. So what is your biggest pet peeve? People that don't listen and wait for you to finish a sentence before they start responding. Mm. <laughs> uh, mental note, Dixie, stop interrupting. That, that sets you up for podcasting pretty well, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, it's funny, though, because, you know, some people don't wait for you to finish asking the question. And then, like, even when you're in an argument, like my husband does it sometimes, too, right? <laughs> And they're already reacting and you're like, um, I still have like nine words I was going to say. So mm-hmm. before you respond, sweetie, let me. And then I finish and he'll go, oh, that's not at all what I thought you were saying. Thank you this for listening. the exact conversation Stephen and I had in bed the other night. We're looking at each other like, whoa, they're Whoops. reading our pillow talk mail. I don't even know how many times we've had this conversation. It's yeah. fine. I yep. Anyway, <laughs> next question. It deserves to be a big pet peeve. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, who would you call your best friend? My husband, Corey. Nice. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. Totally hands down. I can tell him anything. I can be me. I can fart. I can pick my nose and he loves me. So mm. those mm-hmm. are all things that are important to do in front of your spouse. So it's true. exactly. It's true. It is. When you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? A lawyer or a psychologist. Mm. And I became neither, but I kind of in the therapy sector with erotic embodiment advising. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I just always wanted to help people in a expert academic way. Right. Absolutely. I'm so excited to get there, Danielle. Like ever since you sent the email asking to be on the show through our contact form, I was like, (laughs) he got so nervous. What is, what does Danielle do? I'm so curious. I'm so ready to hear about it. There was a moment when, when you uh, sent the request and I was like, oh boy. And then we listened to your podcast and I was like, oh no, this isn't even at all what I thought it was going to be. (laughs) It's just new territory, especially for no normal people as like, as we get to know different people. So Man, I'm so I'm so excited for it. Yeah, me too. Let's get introduced to you a little bit. Um, I kind of like starting from the beginning on No Normal People. So would you, Danielle, tell us about where you grew up and what your family was like growing up? Yeah, well, I grew up here in Minnesota. I've lived here my whole life. And 
moved between city and rural back and forth a lot. Mm -hmm. My parents were hippie kids, did a lot of drugs, had a lot of free sex, said, you know, the world and um, screw politics and we're doing our own thing. Mm. And so I grew up in an environment of amazing music and watching all the cool movies and having parents that smoked pot. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, like to have sex and didn't mind talking about it with us and engaging our curiosity and um, we're the black sheep of their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from there, I have three sisters. I only speak to one of them. I'm disconnected from my family now. Mm. I had a kind of good family, I think, when I look back, but grew up in Minnesota, kind of lower class, a little poor, moved all around and then ended up in uh, what I called the middle of nowhere, Olivia, <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> My parents wanted to escape city life for good. We we lived in the bigger cities in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis mm-hmm. and Eden Prairie and fast paced life. And I was a single mother with one on the way. And I didn't want to work it out with their dad. Mm-hmm. And so I escaped this way. So I've spent most of my life out here, actually, in this small little rural part of Minnesota, mm-hmm. calmed myself down. I was a raging liberal as a <laughs> youngster. I explored all of the religions. Mm. I got into all of the trouble. I had a baby in high school. I, I graduated at seven months pregnant. Nice. And then had another one two years later. But I've, uh, I don't know, I've kind of planted my roots out here. I fell in love with a little farmer boy right before... <laughs> I was going to go try and work it out with my kids again. And it didn't last long because I couldn't stop thinking about them. Mm. And then we rushed into a relationship, rushed into moving in together, rushed into marriage, and uh, have been happy ever since. And so now I'm just a farmer's wife helping raise livestock and homeschooling kids and playing grandma and waiting for the spring to garden. Mm, yes. <laughs> Wow, you have such a way of just telling your story so concisely. I appreciated that so much. So many Thank twists you. and turns as well. I was mm-hmm. curious to ask, so like, I know you're, you're rural kind of farm life now. Do you miss anything about the city? Restaurants. Mm, yeah. That's about it. I love trying new things and I really love to just indulge. And we have three restaurants to mm. choose from out here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Subway our uh, uh, Subway Dairy Queen or pizza. And yep. um, <laughs> so that's about the only thing I miss. Otherwise, no, my son lives where I graduated in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Oh, cool. Oh, and okay. I hate going out there because I hate how fast everybody is moving. Yeah. I didn't realize how much I slowed down and how much I wasn't in a hurry anymore. And so going out there just to go see my son and his girlfriend, and I'm like, I hate the traffic. Everyone's insane. They're all just in such a hurry to kill each other. What is this? And myself sounding like an old lady, but. (laughs) Right. Don't miss that. Yeah. I definitely don't miss driving on the freeway every day. Ick, no. So growing up, like, it sounds like, I mean, you, you said you were kind of the classic, like, got in trouble. Did you, was there ever a, a moment where, you like what what did rebellion look like for you against your parents i'm curious especially like growing up i mean so your context (laughs) growing up with your parents and the way they lived and the way they raised you like is so far from my experience 
So I'm curious, like, if you had a rebellious moment, what did rebellion against that look like? Um, Rebellion. See, I was a good kid, but at the same time, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. But I had open parents. So, like, by the time I was 10, I knew everything there was to know about sex. Mm -hmm. I knew Mm -hmm. the difference between sex and love. I knew the difference between porn and what was broadcast on TV versus what my parents were doing in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. And I knew about all the drugs because they wanted me to be informed. And they basically gave me permission to be curious and to go discover the world, but always gave me cautionary anecdotal tales. So my rebellion wasn't really... I didn't. So once I had permission, I think all I ever did was smoke cigarettes and and use cannabis. Right. And even drinking, I was like, all you people just get stupid and puke and it's horrible. And (laughs) I mean, the first time time I I got drunk, my parents were gone late. And so I got to sneak in the house. I think I was 16. And my mom knew I was drunk. She came in and checked on me when she got home later. She could smell it on me. (laughs) I was puking all night. And she came in like with a vacuum cleaner, just being a big like, oh, I'm just going to let you know this is what happens after the drunk. Yeah, (laughs) I never I was like, I don't ever want to go through that again. Rebellion was intellectual for me. Can I be smarter than my parents? Oh, that's cool against them. Can I show them they're wrong? Because, you know, your parents are always right. You don't know what you're doing yet. You're just a kid. It's my job to teach you. And so for me, it was always, can I prove them wrong? Mm. Can I show that I'm smarter than them, that I'm not as dumb and incompetent as they think I am? Right. Um, I think I only ever snuck out twice. I think the biggest act of rebellion was losing my virginity on Father's Day and throwing it in my dad's face to (laughs) really just get at him. And that was about it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I love that so much. What did the what did oh. the intellectual rebellion look like? I just kind of want to keep drilling down here because I mean, you you also mentioned that you explored pretty much every religion for a time, mm-hmm. just visiting different traditions and different texts. So, like, is that the direction that that took? Yeah, and I just wanted to. I didn't want to be looked at as the dumb kid, you know. Like in families, you're always separated during the meals at holidays and everything, mm-hmm. and. I always wanted to be accepted by the older people. I wanted the adults to include me. Mm. And so the more I knew that I could talk to them and my, my family during holidays always did the politics and religious (laughs) stuff. Right. And all of these big arguments that I wanted to participate in and I wanted to learn from, and they never wanted that. And so It was just, if I can obtain enough information, maybe they'll finally include me. Mm, Then I can be a part of the conversation. Now, just saying that out loud, I'm like, God, I wonder if that's why I'm kind of obsessive with knowledge. Mm. And I'm just like, did I just rip open a wound there to kind (laughs) of re-examine for a minute? (laughs) Hmm. That is interesting. Man, I love even the turnaround you just did, like that self-assessment, like you're paying attention to what is happening inside you, which I'm sure is coming down to like the advising work you already do like paying attention to that embodied experience of like oh whoa did I just like uncover something I haven't addressed in a while that was so cool just to (laughs) listen to just now Danielle I loved it so how would you describe your spiritual life now like if we dabble in and explore all the religions like have you landed anywhere is that a good question even no I haven't landed yet I'm still falling (laughs) 
I am persuaded by a lot of the Christian viewpoints. Right. Mm -hmm. And I have a Christian background. I mean, I I think that's what everyone in my family, my relatives, there were Catholics, there were Lutherans, right? Right. And so that the church wasn't really a part of my life. It was once in a while. And then it was more so after I got married because my husband was evangelical and conservative and in the military and in a small town and very right leaning, but he's not so much anymore. Mm -hmm. But so I kind of, I didn't really have a foundation. I didn't really know like a lot about Christianity or the Bible until I started exploring it because my husband was talking about stuff. I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, what? Who are these people you're talking about? What is the Old Testament? You know, I just never paid attention. Who the heck is Balaam? Right, exactly. And so I, I was more into just kind of new age stuff and whatever Oprah was talking about before that. And then Mm. I had a lot of Vietnamese and Korean and Japanese and Chinese friends in school and a lot of them were Buddhists or mm. Muslim. And so I kind of wanted to explore that. And so Buddhism was really my first deep dive into religion and really taking on practices and doctrines. And and then after that, I went to Wicca. Um, so my whole family called me a witch forever and <laughs> thought it was an insult. And I was like, call me a witch, you know, do but do it. I am. I freaking am. Uh, right. I choose that. But, yeah. But then I got tangled in the evangelical kind of purity, um, super conservative intertwining that whole nationalism and Mm. and patriotism kind of kind of avenue. And I broke away from that when I was introduced to Greg Boyd. Um, I read a book called Myth of a Christian Nation, and that kind of shook me and my husband. Mm. And so that happened around the time we invited Jehovah Witnesses into our house too and had a, mm-hmm. it was a weird day and I had a knock <laughs> on the door and I was like, God dang it, those Jehovah Witnesses are here again. We always just ignored them. <laughs> yeah. Driving all the way out to this farm in the middle of nowhere. And one day they knocked on the door and I heard us a voice just say, let them in and talk. You know, you want to talk to somebody today. Right. Mm. And this guy comes in and wants to teach me how to read the Bible. <laughs> and so me and Corey started meeting with these Jehovah Witnesses for like six weeks. Mm-hmm. And we were introduced to like theology. And so then I got into arguing with them because I was really into debate and I just always wanted to argue with people and be like, nah, this is what I see. And we ended up pointing out a verse somehow that showed them that Jesus is God because their mentality is Jesus is not God. And I'm like, but your own little revised Bible like says it. And I showed a translation Mm. and these people immediately left. They were pissed at us and like, how well, you're, that's not the way you read the Bible. And I'm like, you're the one that taught me how to read this Bible. <laughs> you like, showed I don't... me. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And so I think one of them used a term like, this isn't apologetics. And I was like, what the f- does that mean? And so I Googled it and I came across Ravi Zacharias. Oh, of all yeah. People. So, I mean, then I really was thrown into kind of a philosophical, theological angle of religion that I had never heard before. Mm. Mm. And then somehow I, I, yeah, I got into this whole evangelical thing. And then my daughter came out as, as bi and I was cornered between 
using this, this church I was a part of and all of the stuff that I had learned about same-sex marriage being so wrong. And it created this horrible fight between me and my daughter. And my husband finally was like, this is your daughter. You don't choose a bull religion over your kid. And you don't say these things to her. Cause I was like, you're going to burn in hell. And what are you doing? Wow. It was crazy, but it was like this full frontal experience where I was like, okay, he's right. And she's right. And I am wrong. And I need to find a way to reconcile this. And I always need information to help me make a decision. So I went on another like long-winded Google and YouTube search and I came across, yeah, I went from Greg Boyd to this deconstructionist idea that I had never heard of. Mm-hmm. These progressive Christians who were like, no, we love the gays. And I was like, oh, we can? Like the Bible <laughs> says we can. And so I had all these, you know, different influences like Brian Zond and mm-hmm. Brad Jerzak yeah. and all of these people talking about the verses and how to look at them. And then I was introduced to translation and and then I think I got really intellectually, academically involved. And then I went super social justice warrior, white apologist. Yeah. And then I backed away from that. And I've also been experimenting with psychedelics since October. So I'm really open-minded right now, but I still <laughs> kind of see everything through that Christ-like lens. Right. Sure. Wow. And I do use the Bible. And I there's, there's a lot of good stuff in the Bible And I do believe in following the practices of Jesus. But I mean, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't think Jesus is an updated model. I think there's some more compassion and and some more layers we can add to those practices. So we're not justifying like snapping out in anger and whipping people and flipping tables and and calling people, you know, dogs. So um, that's about where I am. I hope that I am. (laughs) Gives you enough to go with where I land. Excellent. I'm hoping to land. Once again, you've just, you've floored me with your absolute skill at telling that story. Like, again, so many twists and turns, and I loved it. I loved how every part gets you to where you are today. And to be honest, basically, it feels like if we started my story at the evangelical phase of your story, like, we've tracked pretty far, like, we do not do psychedelics, though. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) But... Like being raised evangelical, like I grew up in a Bible church that I always say is closeted Baptist. Like they were so Baptist, but they just didn't want to be part of the denominational like structure. <laughs> so closeted Baptist Bible Christians, very evangelical. Um, Yeah. And I remember having a lot of the same conversations, especially uh, like you've named so many people already, even yeah. like Greg Boyd, Brian Zond, Brad Jerzak. Like these are people I have on my shelf as well. So like I feel so much common ground already, even mm-hmm. cool where we've been in the past and also kind of where and what we're exploring now. Yeah. Like, that's and, so cool to me. And Stephen also has the experience of his wife telling him that she's bi. <laughs> so that's a, that's another really? similarity. This is, this is true. This is, uh, this is a revelation. Well, not a revelation to Dixie, but <laughs> yeah. it was something for me that I think we finally, we, it was within the last few months that we've mm-hmm. really come to it. And a couple years ago, had she, chosen to come out I would have had a very hard time with it mm-hmm. but yeah. thank thank god I was in a it was a, I was already in a place where I see LGBTQ affirmation and reconciliation just the way of Jesus mm-hmm. so I was just I was so ready to just like embrace her and be like okay we're here like that doesn't it it's not changing anything about mm-hmm. our relationship it doesn't 
degrade yeah. you in my eyes or like or change the way I'm going to relate to you at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just addresses another layer of her identity and who she feels that she is. And yes. we can embrace that and encourage that without thinking that it takes away from us. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. And not cheapening anything or like it's not all of a sudden rewriting our total history because Dixie and I, we dated for five years starting my freshman year of high school. So like high school sweet sweethearts all the way. Took that V card. Am I right? <laughs> Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So that was our experience. Like we, we had a couple pregnancy scares in high school as well. Yeah. And then got married five years ago now. So our our relationship is 10 years old. There's so much foundation. 11. 11 years old. Mm -hmm. What? Oh yeah, that's right. Gosh, I'm embarrassed. (laughs) (laughs) Got the number wrong. But we have, we have such a history so that when she is ready and willing to trust me with that, part of her identity it was so easy to be like oh my gosh now I'm just more honored that you trust me with more of you and your your whole selfhood you know Mm -hmm. yes yes that's beautiful awesome it's (laughs) love that it's so exciting so it feels like man it feels like we're just full bore tilting into what you do in your advising practice so like usually in no normal people my next question is what are you passionate about and I'm willing to bet that starting with erotic embodiment and visiting is the first place we want to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I'm passionate about sex all the way. So, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about it then. Just, would you describe to me what an erotic embodiment advisor does and is? Cause it yeah. was, like I said, it was a brand new title that I'd never heard apart from our first email together. Yeah. Um, well, to, to be very transparent, the only reason I went with that term was because I wanted to be different. I didn't want to do something like I'm a relationship coach or mm. I'm a sex right. coach. Because then when you say sex coach, they're like, are you showing people how to have sex? Like, or what does that mean? <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's not what I'm doing. Right. What I want to do with erotic embodiment is I want to help encourage people to find their erotic self. And I came to terms with a need for this just for myself, kind of along the lines of going through that, being able to define what I was going through, that deconstruction, that transformation of my life, and that I was peeling back all the layers and unlearning things. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but see how everything was still tangled into my sexual identity. Mm. And so for me to find some kind of homeostasis within loving myself as a sexual being, I, I started to see that a lot of my beliefs, my religious beliefs and all of those influences and even societal beliefs really can impact you subconsciously and how you relate to your partner Mm -hmm. and how you relate to yourself, even how you hold yourself like in the public eye. Mm. And I was struggling immensely with same-sex marriage and just the idea of my daughter being with another woman. I was like, I, that is, I, I I can't, (laughs) I don't even. And so I thought that had a lot to do with my own body insecurity, right? Because Mm. I was like, I could never imagine that maybe because I didn't like my body and I really didn't Mm. at the time. And I've hated my body since I, my first kid, because I stretch marks and I gained weight. And I was like, I was so proud of my body as a teenager. Like I knew I was hot. I worked out. I was, I could have been an Instagram model, right? Like I was, (laughs) that's how vain I was. Influencer. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. And I was very vain about my body. And so a part of me kind of was like, mm, that's karma. That's what you get for being so vain and looking, not looking beyond the wow. flesh. But yeah. right. I struggled with that. And I was just really insecure. I couldn't be naked in front of my husband and feel confident. Mm. And so finding it was really through my daughter. She was so expressive with herself and she just didn't give a shit what people thought about her. And I was like, well, I had that mentality as a kid and I had lost it somewhere. And so I wanted to, um, I felt like my daughter was embodying her sexuality better than I was. And I felt really like excluded from that. And I was like, well, I want to do that. And so I just kind of, I went through the process of in going through all these self-help books and all these different um, psychology books to kind of help really learn to love myself. And just piecing through it, I realized there was so much bull in religion that created these narratives that right. this messaging I held for myself and I wanted to get away from that. And so mm. as I've been kind of pulling all that residue off, I noticed that other people were really struggling with this too. And so much of the issues that we have with our sexual relationships stem from not only our childhood, but our religious beliefs mm -hmm. and what our pastors are telling us and the way that people refuse to talk about sex. And yeah. so I just kind of wanted to give birth to a new understanding of eroticism. And I was drawn to an erotic theology by um, Cynthia Bourgeau. She is an Episcopalian priest. Right. She wrote The Meaning of Mary Magdalene. And she really uncovered this erotic lens of Jesus and his relationships with people. And I don't know what it was. It just, I had never looked at Mary Magdalene in, in this honorable way before, in this right. dignified right. way. And so that really started me towards this erotic understanding of, of God. Like God is erotic. There is a nature of God that is erotic, and I wanted to bring that to light. And in doing so, and just reading everything I was reading, I started loving myself again. Mm. And I started finding more confidence in myself with and, and in having sex with my husband. And he started revealing so much more to me about sexual desires and fantasies and by curiosity for him that I struggled with in the beginning. Right but wanted to hold space for it. And I thought, okay, well, if this is what's going on with us during deconstruction, what's going on with other people and why is nobody addressing it? And so I was kind of like hooked up with the, the people from the heretic happy hour. I don't know if you're no, familiar with them. Keith Giles, yeah, Jamal Tabanchi, yeah. Matthew yeah. Stefano. So I was like hooked under into choir. I was going to write a book with one of the, with Matthew Stefano. They hosted a podcast that I had, uh, was co-hosting with Michelle Collins, and they wanted me to fill this sexual niche, and they didn't like the way I was doing it, and I was pushing hard against their ideas, and that was really the catalyst for me. I was like, fine, I'm going to go do this on my own, and I'm going to show you that you actually <laughs> need sex deconstruction after religious deconstruction, Right, Whoa. and it was... In, in the beginning, it was a kind of you to them. Like, you're not, you have to add this compartment. You have to add this layer. You have to address this. Because so many people were listening to them and not getting the sexual answers that they wanted. And so right. really, that's what it was about. I was like, well, then I'm going to be the erotic deconstructionist then. And I'm going to help <laughs> people do that and show them that God's nature is erotic. And 
So the spite has lessened and now it's really, really a passion. I've been working with clients and I am just, I'm always super thrilled when people can find the safety enough to share with me what they're dealing with, but then to help them overcome that and really see that God's nature is rested in sexuality and that it doesn't need to be something we're ashamed of. And it needs to be something that we're confident in talking about. Now, it doesn't have to be on, you know, right on your Facebook, but can I help you get to that comfort level where you're talking to at least your spouse about it right. and mm-hmm. really sharing with them what your fears are and what your anxieties are and what your insecurities are and how can you work together? Because for me, I wouldn't have been able to go through this without Corey. And so this is really relationship-based and the the goal is to help people have really good relationships, really erotic relationships, very authentic and vulnerable relationships. Right. And it was because of Corey's support and encouragement and had just the way he can hold space for all of my craziness. <laughs> and then for him to continue to unveil to me what he was interested in or curious about or had desires about. And we've seen our relationship just real, really strengthen. And so my goal is to help other people find that security and continuity and consistency mm. in their relationships and mm. by including God in it as well. That is wow. excellent. A couple things I have in my notebook now that I kind of want to take us toward. Would you, how do you define the word erotic or eroticism like within your practice? Because I think some people can hear erotic and they just think internet porn or something. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you how do you begin to talk about just the definition of your terms? So for eroticism, there are so many beautiful ways that other people have articulated. Like Octavio Paz is someone that I have been influenced by deeply because he wrote this incredible book called The Double Flame, Love and Eroticism. And he really sees that that erotic component coming from God. And Carter Hayward is a theologian and feminist scholar, and she's written um, a book called uh, Touching Our Strength, and she talks about how God is erotic. So I just want to lay that out there because they've influenced the way that I define it. Mm, But eroticism mm. as a whole is, I think, just the energy of love, Mm. the energy of a wanting, desiring love. And for me, what is erotic is what is emotional, what is mental, what is sexual, what is spiritual, and what is physical. And it includes touch and it includes connectivity and it includes intimacy. And it's a kind of space that you share with someone that that you act with them. It's not sexual per se, but it can be. So like I can take erotic and say the act of breastfeeding is very erotic because it's mm. emotionally connected, because it's touch connected. It's a bonding experience. It's intimate and it's fleshy. And it's just one of those moments that really forces you to be present to. Right. And so that which is erotic is that what we're present to, that what we're touching and that what we're really gaining energy from. The difference that I see in the distinction between what is erotic and what is pornographic, I don't think porn has anything to do with emotion. Mm. And so erotic is emotional. Yeah. Wow. And so that's how I kind of discern it. Wow. That is a, that That is is such a great explanation because growing up again in the evangelical context of mine is like, I think what they did teach correctly and what I still believe is that porn 
is like a, a cheap sex. It's a cheap version of get you turned on so you can yeah. achieve orgasm during masturbation. But there's really not that connection. Like there's the, there's so many of your senses that are not engaged when you're just watching porn or like yeah. engaging porn yourself that, man, I, I love the way you turn eroticism upside down and say like it is engaging, it's present, and it's ultimately like an energy of relationship building yeah. and not mm-hmm. just the use of another person. I think pornography also like we could speak of it in those terms, right? Like obje- just objectification. Yeah. Just top down, right? The whole industry is built around it. So yeah. Wow. That is so, that is so beautiful. Yeah. I'm curious if you are familiar with Dr. Hillary McBride's book on body image no. Um, so she was part of the liturgists up until recently, as I'm sure you know. Um, but her book is called Mothers, Daughters, and Body Image, Learning to Love Ourselves as We Are. I admittedly, I haven't read it yet. It's on my list. I was curious to know if you're familiar with it because I've I've learned a lot even about my own relationship to my body, just listening to her speak of embodiment on the liturgists and work with her clients on her podcast called Other People's Problems, where she gets permission from her therapy clients to actually record their sessions mm. and oh, wow. it's it's fantastic if you haven't listened to that yet you should listen almost immediately like <laughs> I, I will check that out that sounds awesome every episode brings tears to my eyes and just like a welling up of like oh my gosh if everyone would just give other people permission like hillary does to feel what they feel and like feel that in their body like that's her whole focus is embodiment so my, my next question of like, let's work with your terms was how do you speak of embodiment and how is that informed by where you are spiritually or where you are religiously? Yeah. Embodiment is just kind of an integrating and wholeness of, you know, really coming to terms with who I am. I worked with a life coach a couple of years ago, Jamal Javanji, and he worked with me for an extended period of time. God mm-hmm. bless him. Wow. He really turned me on to I am statements and I am affirmations and creating mantras for myself around this I am mm. and recognizing that that means that I am the fullness and of the divinity that I was meant to be and kind of really recognizing that I am enough as I am. And with that, my embodiment is just kind of a adding on to everything that I experience in my life. Mm. What is contributing to my existence? What is making it abundant? What is it teaching me? And when we really embody who we are erotically, like I, I talk about embodying the erotic self, you strip down to really come to know, like that deep inner knowing that you are beautiful and perfect just the way you are. And when you really know that you exude it and you fully embody this confidence, I this Christ confidence, really. And when you think about it, and that's just kind of how how I reconcile what it means for me is just knowing that I am fully complete. Mm. But there's always that caveat, right? But knowing that there is still so much more potential in me. Oh. Should I choose it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Has the Enneagram impacted your work at all? Um, I'm not, I, I like Enneagram and I have like a book from Richard Rohr on it. Yeah. And there's this other guy 
Dr. Jerome Loop. Mm. He wrote um, a book about it too. And so I've been trying to learn about it, but I'm an astrology chica, like since I was two. Okay. I've been astrology into astrology. Over Enneagram. Yeah. And <laughs> I have a great appreciation and respect for Enneagram, but it's just, I've spent so much of my life learning astrology and understanding those that wow. I was like, this is like homework for me. And I really need to sit down and dedicate a year to really coming to terms with Enneagram. But what I like about it, I have this this book by Dr. Jerome Loeb. I might be saying his name wrong too. It's L-U-B-B-E, just in case anyone wants to check him out. Oh, sure. He really breaks it down and gives you, and Richard Rohr does this too, and reminds you that while you may be this one number or this one number, your your characteristics kind of ping into all of those traits, similarly to oh, astrology. Totally. Yeah. Like yep. I'm a Sagittarius, but I have all of these other influences that I show traits of everything else. Right. But I really appreciate things like that, astrology especially, and the Enneagram, because it does kind of help you kind of condense some traits mm-hmm. to get to a better understanding of who people are. Because really, that's all my curiosity just leads me to understanding. Like, I just want to understand people because wow. I know me and I understand me. And so I just always want to understand other people. So I really appreciate both Enneagram and astrology, which has been around longer than dust. I just want to remind people who call it a pseudoscience. Right. Uh, um, So yeah, I, 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 I gain a lot of benefit from the more I learn about it. Mm, Definitely. I, whenever Enneagram comes up um, in our friend groups and stuff like that, I love it when people say like, I'm a two or I'm a three. I love to be like, no, you are dominant in a type. You are not that type. Like you are you know, all of them. Yeah. And what's funny is I took that test and I am four numbers dominant, like mm-hmm. tied. Well, I think there was one difference. So dominant five and then one, seven, four, I mm-hmm. think. And wow. I was like, who gets that? Who gets that? Like, what is that? I don't get one number. I got four. I got all of and, them. Yeah. And so then I always get people, they're like, you're a two, aren't you? And I'm like, not even close, buddy. Yes. So go back and learn that again. <laughs> Stop trying um, to type people. Either that or <laughs> you're so, not Richard Rohr. <laughs> absolutely. Well, yeah. and you should never. You, you we're never in the business of telling other people what they're like. Oh, yeah. They should discover that for yeah. themselves. And that's yeah. I like the Enneagram as a tool for that. Uh, yeah. I have heard that people who can't really land on a number because they do test as like dominant in most numbers mm-hmm. should actually do some work exploring nine because the nine is like the very top of the shape and the everyone yeah it's it's the type that (laughs) is ready to relate to everyone basically and like inhabit their points of view the only reason i asked the reason i asked and brought the enneagram up was that it has been a tool for dixie and i in our journey of like embodying ourselves we both land in the body triad which is eight nine and one Mm. and so she's an eight i am a one And so we both are, um, it's described as like the body or the gut is like our dominant mode of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's something that unlocked in me, uh, a good number of years ago. And it was, it's two stories that I always come back to. One was watching the movie Les Mis. (laughs) And, uh, it was the first time I ever cried at a movie. And I remember feeling very ashamed that I was crying in a theater, but then the second story was I finished the novel, A Tale of Two Cities. Both ironically are about the French Revolution. I don't know what my connection to that <laughs> is, 
but that was the first novel I cried at. And now, like, I don't know if you've, you've visited my Twitter, but I, I have a running thread of basically documenting every time I cry. And I do that very proudly now because nice. the Enneagram has been a tool for me to help unlock, like, no, like as a one, you do actually engage the world through your body and with your gut. So like, I'm so happy with the fact that this tool has taught me that letting that emotion have its way with me in a way, like it's, it's the best way for Steven to show up in the world and not to like shove it down and just wait for it to like blow out a side door, you know? Oh my God. And can I just say, Steven, that's awesome. Please continue. Okay. I don't think I follow you on Twitter, but I'm gonna now. I love that. (laughs) My daughter, she is nine and a half. She had met a friend on Roblox Mm-hmm. And they were, they got to texting and FaceTiming. This little girl lives in another state. They're talking and texting. And my daughter's very emotional, like mm-hmm. very emotional <laughs> to the point when her friends or my nieces and nephews, whenever anyone would leave, she would just break down and cry. She would just heartbroken. These people are leaving. Wow, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to see you again. Right. Mm-hmm. And so her friend said something that hurt her feelings. So she started crying. Oh. And her friend told her, you know, friends aren't supposed to cry in front of other friends. It makes us feel bad. And I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Oh, my gosh. And (laughs) told me that. And I said, I said, okay, well, so I've been telling you for a long time now that some people are not going to be able to handle the way you are. And you do cry a lot. And we know that. And I said, so now we have to decide how do we navigate this, sweetie? Do you want a friend who can hold space for you and Mm. who can really take on all of your emotions or do you want to wait for someone else who can do that for you? Maybe I should just learn to stop crying. And I was like, no, you have to cry. Like that's your way of letting your emotions out of your body. Because if you don't let them out, they get trapped and they make us crazy and they actually can harm us. Like your issues are always in your tissues. And if we don't cry, if we don't cry, that gets clogged. And I will be the first to raise my hand and say, I hadn't cried in a long time. And now I have this big effing knot in my shoulder. And so I've been forcing myself to cry because I know I got to get the emotions out. So I just want to encourage you and totally applaud you for that. Because I am (laughs) such a proponent of crying because all sometimes all it takes is just to release those emotions through the tears. Wow. And you can have like this instant cathartic just revel revelation and you can move on with your life so i think that's beautiful that you're crying and i just i really encourage men to cry so much more it's beautiful when it happens thank thank you for that permission because i that was something like as long as we're using deconstruction language like that was something specifically i had to deconstruct about the way I was raised to view American masculinity. And eventually when I was just, I felt the permission come from within me to just be like that. I'm going to cry because I need to, damn it. You know, I do what I want. Yes. I, can I just say, I am 20 years older than your daughter and she is more emotionally mature than I am. What a, what a wise little girl. Absolutely. Holy crap. (laughs) That is amazing. Mm. I love it. We're going to take a quick break and be right back to our conversation. This episode of No Normal People is brought to you by the No Normal People Coffee Blend in partnership with Revel Coffee in Billings, Montana. 
This bright and complex coffee will come fresh roasted to your door for you to enjoy the delicious symphony of citrus, berry, spice, and chocolate notes. Visit highline.network shop to enjoy a cup of coffee as normal as our podcast guests. No Normal People is supported by our generous patrons who joined us at patreon.com slash nopeoplepod. You too can join the Normal People community to gain access to our private Discord, merch store discounts, and monthly bonus episodes. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you find this podcast valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person with a text or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. And be sure to visit our page at Highline.network, where you can sign up for our email newsletter called The Three Thought Thing. No Normal People is a proud founding member of the Highline Media Network. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. Kind of mechanical approach. Right. It feels cold, right? Oh, that's a good one. Whereas Rousseau it, yeah. does feel yeah. warmer. Yes. And more romantic. And, and I can completely appreciate that. And I think that there's a lot of value in like, in tapping into and listening to human emotion. There's kind of like a depth of knowledge that doesn't speak the same language mm, as kind yeah. of cold, economic, practical thinking. Right. But I think the two can be married really well. Yeah. Let's get back to our conversation. Uh, now, Danielle, I just kind of want to ask, what does it look like in this this practice when you take clients on? Do you mind walking us through maybe what like what session one is like? Yeah. Session one with me, I want them to kind of formulate what it is they want to address, what they want to grow from, what they want to kind of deconstruct from, mm. what they're struggling with. And so that forces them to have to really get vulnerable with me right away and tell me what it is they're struggling with or what they're challenged by. Um, one client, he was he hadn't had sex with his wife in years. I think mm. it had been nine years. Wow. But he was sleeping with other women Ooh. behind her back. Mm-hmm. And now moving on to men, realizing he was bisexual. Um, and his wife had struggled with just bouts of different ailments. She'd gone through cancer and then she had a heart attack. And they grew up in a very puritanical, patriarchal way of thinking about sex. Mm-hmm. And then she lost a lot of sexual desire because she had gone through chemo mm-hmm. and that can really mess with your libido. And she just didn't have a lot of body security. And so we were working together, number one, to be honest with his wife about what was going on behind her back. She had known about some affairs and had gotten to a point where she just didn't want to know. But he was dealing with a lot of guilt and not telling her. So we were working together and him being honest with her about his needs and desires because he felt selfish asking his wife for sex considering everything she went through. Yeah. Mm. So for that client, we were working on building kind of a path towards being honest about the way he feels and letting her know, you know, he was feeling excluded from the relationship, from intimacy, like he wasn't enough for her. Mm-hmm. That he couldn't satisfy her, that she didn't have any desire for him. 
on the other hand, he also wasn't asking her that. So a lot of it was assumption. Mm -hmm. And we do that to ourselves, right? We, we wrap ourselves up in these fear narratives and we kind of just presuppose what our partner is going to say if we want to get vulnerable. And Mm -hmm. so we just don't and we hold it in. So a lot of people that I work with are just really looking for someone to help them with courage Mm -hmm. so that they can say what they want or say what they don't like or say that they want more of it. Really, a lot of people just want to learn how to talk to one another about sex because who's who's teaching us, right? Right. Your parents often shush you and say you're too young and (laughs) Then by the time you are old enough to know, they figure you learned about it at the uh, the bus stop or at school. So no one really has any articulation or knows what kind of vocabulary to use about sex. And, you know, to your point about porn, porn is that cheap education that's available, unfortunately. Yeah. While a lot of people are moving towards correcting that with ethical porn that you pay for instructive ethical porn with consenting adults that, you know, demonstrate and depict actual real sex and not these staged presentations that you see in porn. Mm -hmm. So people just really need to know how to talk about sex. And, and most times they just need permission from someone else to tell them you can talk to your, your wife or your husband this way, right? Like it's okay to bring the, and, and they would love you for it. And they probably want you to break the ice because maybe they're too afraid to break the ice. So really most of my clients are very quick sessions. They just really want, you know, kind of a, how do I start? How do I initiate? How do I talk about this? And we do a lot of checkbacks and most people just are happy with that. Just give me a few tips on how to initiate a conversation. Hmm. And so conversation, I always talk about as being the most important thing. We have to communicate our wants and what we don't want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people don't even know that because, you know, they've never touched themselves. And so they don't even know what they like. And so how am I supposed to tell someone else what I like? And other people I work with, they're not in a relationship, but they want to be prepared for one. And they know that there were a lot of challenges in their previous relationships that they don't want to repeat. So Mm. I always start with a relationship bill of rights. I got the idea from... um, This book I got is called More Than Two. It's the practical guide to ethical polyamory. But the relationship bill of rights was just pivotal for me. I was like, this is exactly what relationships need. And so it's just this bill of rights that states like what you expect out of a relationship, what your what your boundaries are, what your needs are. Um, And so I give them that example. And that's by two authors. I want to get their names out there just because they're awesome. Mm -hmm. Franklin Vo and Eve Reichart wrote this book and came up with this relationship bill of rights. But so what I do is my clients have to create their own. And I give them, say, 10. What are your needs, your desires? What are your expectations? What are your your limitations? Write that out so that you know exactly what you're looking for in a relationship. Because most people don't talk about that. Right. They're not like, hey, if we're going to have sex, we're only going to have sex with each other. Or, hey, if I consent to sex one time, that doesn't mean every time. Or, hey, just because I am having sex with you doesn't mean I'm not having sex with other people. Like, we don't stipulate that. We just bring expectations and assumptions into the relationship Mm. and really don't talk about it. So Mm -hmm. I really like to help people just learn how to communicate and create conversations. And so that's kind of what I think my specialty is. But then from there, once you can find that comfort level to talk, everything else just kind of grows organically. And then people can find 
a way to communicate to their partner thereafter once they kind of establish that space and safety wow, yeah. and security and in discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're you're helping people. It almost it like remove the logjam, right, and get things flowing again. Is yeah. That sounds like what a lot of these sessions are. Is like okay, let's let's relearn the art of just having a conversation and then being able to articulate what you want and what you don't want. Yeah. But there's also people that are like, how do I last longer? And, you know, honestly, that's a really common question for men. And for that, it's really just teaching them how to in kind of instill a mindfulness practice, because Mm -hmm. when it comes to hyper-focus on pleasure, that'll make you come quickly. But if you can focus on the moment and be present to the pleasure, and then Mm -hmm. also in a canonical sense, kind of remove yourself for a minute and refocus attention on pleasing your partner, that alone in itself can help extend it because you're not focused on this feels really good. This feels really good. I like it. I like it. I like it. But then you're, you're shifting Mm. and you're saying, wait, how's my partner doing? And oh, she looks really good. And okay, let's focus on uh, what is, how is her moan right now? And am I doing it the right way? Should I switch directions? Should I go harder? And and checking in with her too, right? Eye contact and, and breathing. I mean, breathing can help literally extend longevity in sex. Wow. Focus mm-hmm. on your breathing. Same with labor, right? We breathe right. through the pain. We breathe through the push. You breathe through the thrust. And honestly, breathing through your thrust can help extend sex. So wow. yeah, I love that. Mindfulness and presence is the it's, big time. It's wild how many things come back to that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All the science centers on it now, too. I mean, all of the clinical sexual science right now is that's coming out is just all focused on presence and mindfulness practices. And and it's amazing. So I love that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. I know Dixie has some thoughts. So I just kind of want to open up uh, a conversation about uh, what we think the. I kind of want to ask it in pros and cons of classical teachings of purity culture are triggered um (laughs) because (laughs) she says triggered so uh in in my youth group growing up our example of i'm just gonna preface this with i hate this yeah i hate this so much so do i but our example of the way like purity culture was explained was put an oreo in a cup and then hand it to every person in the youth group and everyone was told to spit on the oreo in the cup and then it got back to the youth pastor and with a glove, he would pull out the Oreo and say, like, now who wants to eat this? Ah, uh, right. Oh, and wow. I, I Why would anyone want to have sex after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm celibate now. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I like it's impossible to come away from that metaphor without realizing that he is basically equating a spit on Oreo to a woman's body. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, like, especially a woman's body there, there is a conversation about young, young men, like in youth group, just like going through raging f-ing hormones. Right. But usually like, even if it, like this was our experience when we lost our virginity in high school for my, in my small group, the conversation <sighs> was like, okay, we'll pray for forgiveness. We'll pray for you guys. And, uh, and then we did it again. And then we just kept doing it. Cause it was awesome. <laughs> Um, oh, spinners. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I just, at this point, I like to say that we just got to jumpstart on the good stuff. Uh, yeah. 
because <laughs> our relationship has gone for so long from such a young age. Like I, I, at, in one aspect, I love the fact that our sex life started that early and that our relationship has been able to get this deep in 11 years. And I think part yeah. of that can be attributed to that. However, I also do like, there's always something in me that kind of rings and echoes of like maybe a little truth in like speaking of celibacy before marriage and stuff. So I just kind of want to open that conversation and see what your thoughts are. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, And I have totally danced back and forth on this too, especially, you know, being a mom and seeing my kids, you know, I have two adult children and they're neither married, but Mm. are engaging in sex. And I already have a grandchild. So, I mean, there are obvious, um, what's the word I can use here to not make a child sound like a consequence, but there are, (laughs) there are consequences, right? There are children. There's a potentiality for children. And the studies themselves show that even alone just being married can provide you with so much more privilege to having a really good life. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people. So my mom didn't tell me to wait to get to until I was married. Mm -hmm. She said, do not have sex until you're in love. Uh And that, that was a big thing for me. And it wasn't just because you like them. It was because you trust them because you want to be with them because you want to share that with them. Because for me, I always knew sex was sacred. I, I just, that's what I grew up in. Sex was sacred. It was beautiful. It was not to be manipulated. And it wasn't what, you know, my parents had, they had their sex toy chest. They had penthouse and they had dirty playing cards and you know my dad had a book called the sensuous man and they had (laughs) sex toys and i was nosy as hell and whenever i got busted (laughs) sneaking around they sat me down and these cards you know they were pornographic images this isn't this isn't love i think it was four or five when that happened this isn't love this is just sex and so my mom explained the difference you know what mommy and daddy do we make love and and these people just do this for pictures for entertainment and so i always had that and so for me going into sex the first time i had sex when i lost my virginity i it wasn't for love i just wanted to get it over with because everybody was making such a big deal about it that i was tired of being the virgin the only virgin in the group and so it was with a friend. He was a very close friend of mine. We had known each other a while. We always hung out. And I told him, I just want to do this. And it was stupid and it was boring. And I, (laughs) I literally was like, are you in yet? And he's like, I've been in. And I was like, Oh, I thought it was supposed to hurt. Okay. I've been done. Carry on. Wow. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And then I was, then I did fall in love after that. And I felt it right. Like I wanted it. I could feel it inside. Like I knew exactly what I wanted. And so Mm, that is what I would recommend people wait for. Just there's that inner knowing, I think. I wanted it and I felt safe with him and I did love him. And if I would have said no, he would have stopped and he would have been okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that, that's how we sense each other's energy, right? We just kind of have that knowing, but I think we need experience. And I think that's the, the downfall because we have this lacking sexual education in our society. People are getting married and they're like, I don't know what to do. And so they only have sex once a year and then they end up, like I have a friend, literally the only time he has sex, he ends up getting his wife pregnant. Oh, and geez. so I'm like, 
you're only having sex once every once a year like that's you know and so because there's so many fears and uncertainties and awkwardness and i can't tell i don't know what to do mm. so i think we need experience so i don't know how to recommend that in an instructive way but i would say don't make yourself feel like you have to remain pure and untouched before you enter into a marriage or a relationship because mm. You might want a little bit of experience. You might want to, you might want to just have a, a a relationship with someone that you guys are just figuring out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, can you be my practice partner? I've I've had experiences in my life where it was solely about sex, and it was solely about learning about sex, and so and that benefited me because we could ask each other questions, and you could have awkward, weird sounds, and <laughs> all that stuff happen, right. and nobody was offended because we were just trying to figure out. Wow. And so I would say, if you want to wait, I totally get it. I know people who have waited and they have very, very fun, healthy, curious sexual relationships, and they've only been with each other. But then other people who wait, you know, often they never really find the joy and pleasure in it because they're too scared. And so it's really for you to decide. I think these overarching ideas that God's going to like look down on you or that women are these diseased, you know, dirty drudged Oreo cookies. You know, we have to, (laughs) we have to take that out of it because yes, STDs or STIs are a threat. Mm -hmm. Pregnancy Mm -hmm. is a potential Mm -hmm. and you could end up being in a space with someone who doesn't hear you and doesn't stop when you want them to. So you don't want to set yourself up for these risks that can cause you harm but then, I mean, you could try a new position and get hurt too and end up in the emergency room. So, <laughs> you know, you're never really protected from that risk, right. but it has to be like a personal choice, an individual choice. We can't let other people's opinions or judgments impact what we decide for ourselves and how we relate with our bodies to other people. Mm. I think that they related that really well in Bridgerton, <laughs> mm. <laughs> might I add. Just, yeah. the, just the whole, like, I mean, them not doing it until uh, they got married and then the conversation beforehand. Like that was very good. (laughs) I haven't seen the show, but I I even liked the way you, Danielle spoke of like, you're watching the difference in that show between pornographic sex for the sake of it and like depicting seduction on Mm -hmm. the screen. Yeah. That's the thing they leave out in in the movies and in the porn is, Okay, number one, nobody's having sex in an elevator. Nobody has sex in an elevator and then goes about their day like, did you not run to the bathroom? Who had the wet wipe? Where was the lubrication? I didn't see any any stroking going on. How does... And the the depictions of the porn are ridiculous and are only for the camera. Nobody has sex that way, right? And so it's just crazy that anyone would think that sex should be that quick of a buildup and then you're done with because love is, is, is patient and sex is the, the action of love. And Mm. so we need to be equally patient. And for all of the listeners, women take longer to get ready than men. Some men are like a literal light switch, right? (laughs) All it takes. And they're like, baby, I want you. Women need a mindfulness oh, yeah. routine before they have sex. I do. I have to get out of mommy mode. I have to get out of podcast mode. I have to get out of uh, advising mode. I have to shut off and reset and reboot 
and and be in a completely different mindset. Right. Mm -hmm. And people often think that they can just say, hey, I want to have sex. And oh, the woman's like, "Okay, I'm ready to go. That's not how it works. (laughs) Right. And I mean, my (sighs) sister, for instance, she's super picky. She's like, if the light is on in the living room, I can't have sex because I have to shut that light off. Oh, my gosh. The dog is barking. I can't have sex, you know? Mm. And so we need presence. We need focus. We need to, I always tell people this. I'm like, you have to get in the mood. It just doesn't come on. And so we have to be very mindful of that. And what they show us is for, you know, quick content entertainment. That's not the real thing. Right. And it really should be. I often think, why do people only put 20 minutes into sex? Like my husband and I, it's, it's like four or six hour sessions, like I want it. I've been waiting for this for three days. Mm. I don't want it over in 20 minutes. Right. And this I isn't fast food. This is a dining restaurant. Right? <laughs> and it's like a five course meal, right? Like go yeah. through everything. And because when you're being present to someone and when you're looking into their <laughs> eyes and that's beautiful, you don't want to rush that. Wow. You yeah, totally. totally. Yeah. Man, I love that. I'm Now I'm just like, <laughs> even back to the icebreakers like the the difference between mcdonald's sex and like mac and cheese lobster sex right like <laughs> yes come on yes. it also it goes back to the, your basic language around like uh, i have to be out of like podcast host mode blog writing host you know yeah. mode it goes back to your basic language of like embodying your erotic self like it's almost like a suit you put on or a hat you put on or something yeah. like you you mindfully prepare yourself for the space you're about to go like Yes, absolutely. The erotic thinking cap is what Mm -hmm. I sometimes say. Put your erotic thinking caps on. See, I love that erotic robe on. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I I don't see why we can't why a lot of people don't see that around their sex life when like to me, you and I have common ground in that we're both podcasters. And for me, like I, I have to get in podcast mode maybe half an hour before the mics turn on. Right. Like, yeah, there's a slight. Uh, twist to my personality and the, even my speaking style and all that <laughs> that yeah. I actually need to prepare for. So why wouldn't that be the case for sex? Like if you're familiar with the Anatomy of Marriage podcast, it was kind of a spinoff of the Bad Christian Guys. It's hosted by Seth and Melanie Studley, and they always talk about how initiation of sex and seduction, if especially for men, because they often speak about some some men can absolutely just like turn on right away. But Mm -hmm. if they are in the mood and they know that that night they want to have sex, they talk about how seduction and initiation starts that morning, right? Exactly. Yes. I love that. It also comes back to just knowing what your partner likes and prefers. Like if I knew that Dixie couldn't get there, if the dog was barking, then I would like, I would put the dog in the garage, you know, like (laughs) prepare, prepare the entire scene and not just get ready to take your clothes off yeah steven and i call it talking sober like we have to have this conversation sober before we have this conversation when we're hot when we're drunk (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah because you know what's interesting is when you are aroused in an aroused state you are more likely to do riskier things yeah than when you're not so it is like a drug it can and i mean that's why 
why most couples kind of implement new ideas is they're turned on. And so they're like, hey, do you want to try this? Yeah. And then later they're like, no, I didn't want to try that. Why did you do that? Why did we do that? You're high when you're aroused. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You are. Wow. Um, (laughs) That's a that's a great way to frame that kind of comes back to our language. I think uh, that just this value of conversation and like speaking about sex and about what you want out of sex before you get there is just so key. Yeah. And th- th- I love that you, that that's like the main focus of your practice. That's so cool to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, I mean, in, in the middle of sex, sometimes I lose focus, right? Like it happened to me last week where I was like, okay, we need to stop. I just, I need a minute. I don't know what is going on. And so, you know, my husband's like, oh, do you want to talk? Do you, you want to go have a cigarette? You want to go take a shot? You want to just, you want to just talk, hmm. you know? And and honestly, sometimes just that I'm like, okay, now I'm really turned on because you, you're just so graceful. <laughs> the and, and he's paying I attention you, and he's you know? making space. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Right, it's not about his pleasure. It's about our shared pleasure and mm. our shared connection. And so that happens with a lot of couples, right? They're just like, I can't anymore. Well, then mm. pause, like p- press pause and reset because I find that sometimes the sex gets better if you can do that, you know, pause and Sometimes there's just something that creeps up. You know, our ego likes to be like, hey, remember that thing we were pissed off about earlier? I know. I know he's going down on you, but you're pissed off. Remember (laughs) that, you know? And so you have to kind of let let me just reorient myself here. Wow. Let's get back in the mode. Yeah. And yeah, keep going. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. My goodness, Danielle. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been. Yeah. Uh, we've learned a lot, but also like it's it's so good to just speak to someone who is so comfortable yeah. speaking about it as well. That's I love that about your yeah. podcast. Even is like there's no limits, there's no no territory we can't go because you're modeling exactly what you want your clients and your advising practice to be able to do. Right? Like, yeah, we talk, talk about, about anything. Absolutely, it's so good. Yeah. I'm curious to kind of steer us away from this conversation. I'm curious if you just have like hobbies in your life that you like to uh, spend your time on? Oh, hobbies. Like what is the hobby? <laughs> well, so I know um, you podcast, you write. <laughs> you know, but I like to play. I I really like to play. Sure. I play with my kids. I play with my grandson. I like to be outside. I like to show my kids how to climb trees. Mm. Um, I like to go find branches that have fallen and whittle them down a little bit and have sparring contests with my kids. <laughs> I like tennis. I like to shoot hoops. Um, I love swimming and I love coloring and drawing and painting. So mm. really when I get to do whatever I want and it doesn't have to have a purpose, I just really like to play and playing actually is really something that parents and adults stop doing. You know, like I'm always like, I just want to play right now. Does anyone want to play with me the same way my kids do? And so board games are, I just got a magnetic dartboard that I'm really hooked <laughs> on and the kids really like. And I, I just really like to play. That's all I really got to do with my dad. Cause he worked so much. Right. And so play was really important. Oh wow. Um, yeah. And so I just think I've kind of taken that on and I, yeah, I mean, and it's hard for Corey cause he doesn't, he's like, I've worked all day. I just want to chill. <laughs> like, why do we have to be all rowdy and crazy with the kids all the time? But Snap time. I do like even Frisbee, right. I'm just like, or let's go to the park and I want to go down the slide. I want to swing. So, right. but play, play sparks creativity for us. And it, and it helps us 
get into the present moment. When we are playing, we have to be present. Mm. And so that's just, that's something that I encourage my clients to do too. I'm like, when do you play with your partner? You know, and not just sex. Like, do you guys do puzzles? Do you bake bread together? Do you, do you garden? Do you dance? Do you, yeah. Play right. is really important and it inspires creativity and it, it helps us connect to people. So it creates common ground, like outside of the bedroom, outside of the stresses of life. Like Dixie mm-hmm. and I are, we're in the, <laughs> we're under contract buying our first home together. Ooh. So like, congrats. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> so like in the middle of all that stress, sometimes we need to be like, okay, we're the paperwork will be here in the morning. Let's play Stardew 30 Valley. minutes on Stardew Valley and build a farm together. Or so, you know, like <laughs> it's. Aww. Yes. My dad and his wife do that. They play little games together. And I think it's the cutest thing. (laughs) It's so good. And it's even been able, it's, it's informed us even on like the prospect of buying our first home and being able to like make the renovations we want to, or like design it and really like build the aesthetic we want. We were Mm -hmm. able to come back to the games we play and like the things we do just for fun together. And we're able to say like, you know how it feels to be on the same team in that video game. Like that's what I want for our real life while yeah. we build our house, you know? Yes. And just being able to say that and we both know exactly what we're talking about is so it's so yeah. exciting. Like mm-hmm. that that it oh, man, it's so enriching to a relationship to play. So man, yeah. I yeah, love is. that. I love that. Yeah. That's excellent. Um so we know that you guys home or you homeschool and you do a podcast and you write. Um I'm curious to know if you follow any particular morning or evening routines. No. Not really. <laughs> I really do. I I have to have coffee in the morning. Like I well, I do. I mean, my morning routine is I I sit if it's nice out, I go outside. I get a cup of coffee. I get a cigarette and I go sit outside and Mm. literally just listen to Mm. the sounds of the nature, but we have cattle and we have chickens and we have cats. And so they're always around, but I really just like coffee and cigarette in the morning and it's just me Mm. and it's just me and in the space. And that just kind of is me waking up and mentally preparing for whatever it is I have to do that day. I kind of geared away from schedules and routines a lot just to kind of keep it spontaneous Mm. and being on the farm life, it's never really consistent. So I had to let go. I was like a spreadsheet to do list, everything plotted out on seven different calendars spread out throughout the house kind of person. And so I've really relaxed a lot and let go of, I have to do this and this and this and this and this before bed. Um, But nighttime routine Um, we do with the kids is, you know, we get them upstairs to brush their teeth and we tuck them in and we read a book and we tickle. We always tickle the kids before bed. (laughs) It's a practice we learned. We went to this church activity about connecting with your family. And this guy insisted on pillow fights. And we went from, we did pillow fights with the older kids but then my older daughter was always getting beat too hard by her brother oh no and we were like how about tickles right (laughs) yeah so with the little kids we implemented tickles and so we just tickle the grumps out of them every night before bed that's cute and um then whatever conversation they want to have before they go to bed Mm. and do that and we do that together every night that we're both available to and yeah that's just part of our routine we just always kiss our kids and tuck them in. Uh, neither one of our parents did that for us. Right. 
They never, mm. they were just like, good night, go to bed. And <laughs> Why aren't you so we like that. Yeah. We implemented that just tucking our kids in, kissing them good night. And you know, if you, if with the older kids too, it was like, if we had a fight that day or an argument or something going in and just having a chat and like, you know, I love you. And maybe I could have dealt with this differently and I shouldn't have yelled at you. And I hope I didn't make you feel this way and right. letting them have a space to express any emotion and mm. hold the space. That's, that's my nightly routine. Definitely. Awesome. I love that. Would you tell me about your cats, about your pets? My cats. Okay. Let me see if I can remember them all. There is Chai them all. and Zero. They are allowed inside. They are both males, but they're little <laughs> because whenever I'm podcasting, <laughs> they jump up on my lap and want to get in the microphone. Totally. In our outdoor cats, we have, let's see, Jupiter, Apollo, Cheesecake, Odessa, Stranger Cat. He's a visitor. We don't know who he is. <laughs> I love that. Cattle. I think that's all of them. And then my cattle are Kaya, Jeff, um, blanking dinner, supper, July, oh oh and tank. Oh, that's awesome. And I don't name my chickens. I think my older son has named some of our chickens and they are really weird names. They're like really old names like Gertrude and <laughs> I don't even know. He's so weird. Edith. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, then we have chickens. But yeah, the cats. And I am, I can't believe I'm a cat lady. Like I, one day um, UPS showed up with all my Amazon and I literally had six cats sitting at the front door and I was feeding them and I'm like, I am in the old lady with all the cats. Oh my <laughs> this gosh. is me now. This is my what is life. this? That's yeah. That's so wild. Man. <laughs> I've committed to the cat lady life. Yeah. It's a good life. Oh man, I love it. Uh Danielle, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Yeah. We are thank you for having me. We're aware that we're coming to the the end of our time here. So we want to close with asking uh like what you're currently reading. Right now, I am reading a book called Transcend the New Science of Self-Actualization by Scott Barry Kaufman. I'm taking a course through him through Columbia University. He is a psychologist and he really, he takes this book and kind of unfolds Maslow's hierarchy of needs and shows you wow. it wasn't a pyramid, it was a sailboat. And so that metaphor alone kind of really shifts everything. And I'm taking that course because I get like a psychology credit for it. And I, it, self-actualization is really important with any kind of therapy yeah. approaches you take. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm doing, that's my educational. And then I'm reading a book called Body to Body Intimacy, Transformation Through Love, Sex and Neurobiology by Stella Resnick. That book is just, it's kind of like a clinician workbook. And that's kind of teaching me a lot about just different mindfulness practices, how to deal with sexual trauma. I usually read a lot of books just to kind of help keep me educated. Sure. Yeah, um, and absolutely. then I'm reading Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged just yes. because I've had it for like six years and I've never oh. read it. And uh, I started reading it this year. My and it's the thickest book in the world. That's very good. I'm curious to ask what you're currently listening to as far as podcasts go. Any you would like to highlight? Um, I always listen to Joe Rogan. I love him. Uh, lately, I don't listen to anything routinely, but I will go people who I want to have on my podcast that are also podcasters. I go and I'll binge and I like binge yours. And um, so that's what I do. So it's like when I meet new people, then I'm introduced to a new podcast. And so I don't 
have any other. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? Right. But I have a lot in my library waiting for me to listen to. It's just I've been really into music lately. And so mm. not listening to podcasts. What do you listen to? What do you jam for music? What comes up right now? Well, today while I was making my husband's birthday cake, me and my daughter were jamming to Billie Eilish. Yes. Perfect. I love her. Love Billie Eilish. Love her so much. I <laughs> I love H-E-R, her. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. performed at, I think, the Super Bowl. I really like Khalid. Khalid. Mm, and then... Yeah. I like black violin. Oh. Yeah, they're violin and 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 kind of R and B. And it's like this conglomerate of classical music and hip hop and R and B and it's really awesome. And then I always listen to classical or jazz when I write. Oh so. yeah, that's good. Once again, Danielle, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We've loved every minute of it. Would you Tell our listeners about like where they can find you. Tell them about your blog, podcast, any anything on social media that you'd like to direct people toward. Absolutely. Yeah. On social media, I can just be found under my name, Danielle Kingstrom. Instagram and Twitter, it's D Kingstrom. I do have an OnlyFans for erotic advising for an additional layer of anonymity. Mm-hmm. And that's at Naked Tree Advisor. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I don't do the website deal because I'm cheap and I just use social media. But I respond to all messages and inquiries. So you just find me. You can Google me. I'm everywhere, unfortunately. I think even some mugshots are there. So there you go. We can read you at <laughs> pathos.com, right? With your blog and pathos.com, progressive Christian. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and then recorded conversations is on Spotify and iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and iHeartRadio and Podbean. All the places, absolutely. Would you read our favorite quote to close us out? Absolutely, I will. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Thank you for joining us. You can follow the Hennings on Instagram and Twitter at Stephen G. Henning and at Dixie Lee Henning. Our theme music is composed and performed by Stephen and Dixie Henning and was recorded, mixed, and mastered by Austin Smith. Our artwork is designed by Dixie Lee Henning. Find more of her work at DixieLeeDraws.com, at DixieLeeDraws on both Instagram and TikTok, and at DrawsDixie on Twitter. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. Every episode, we pair a new and delicious cocktail with a roundtable discussion about philosophy, politics, or current events. Whether we're tackling the January 6th Capitol riots or Twitter's censorship faux pas, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our world. Or we discuss the unanswerable philosophical questions like if mankind is fundamentally good or evil. And I discover I might be a communist. So follow the Whiskey Bench if you're into questions like these. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.